fire tribe, where you at? I hope you're ready, rising from the ashes and it's getting heavy Conspiracies, we got plenty and some are scary From aliens to Bigfoot, extraordinary, yeah, yeah Danunaki Dan and the homie Romy I was bugging out, all the crazy things he showed me Jesus bloodlines to the stars in the skies Always a good time, vibing with the fire tribe Hey, So wake up, wake up, get it cracking Rise out the ashes, I know you got a passion Kick off the combo with theories, many conspiracies Other dimensions, plenty ancient history Fire tribe, where you at? Wake up we about to get into it I know you can't get enough At home, at work It don't matter, turn it up Rising from the ashes You know what's up, hey. uh, Rising from the ashes Hello everyone and welcome to Rising From the ashes I'm Daddy Unaki Dan And I am the homie Romy What is happening with you, my brother? What's good in the hood, homie? Oh, I don't know. I'm just out here contemplating the meaning of contemplating, why, <laughs> contemplating uh, why I eat so many uh, different snacks, and then I feel such a certain way. Yeah, I am. Do just you really have to wonder? Yeah, I'm, no, I really. Why? You tell me. What What are you snacking on, bro? I'm snacking. Okay, actually, let me tell you guys a little secret. Let me tell you a little story. Um. I love chocolate. Okay. We've talked about uh, the cannabinoid systems uh, of the body. And plants have the phytocannabinoids, and our body has the endocannabinoids. Okay. The plants contain the A, and we contain the B, the start and the finish. And then there's a perfect coagulant absorbance that happens. Uh, And, anyways, but the problem with chocolate out there is, is, a lot of it is um, it's loaded with a bunch of sugar and a bunch of shit. This chocolate called Hue, which is going on sale seemingly at every health food store I've been in. Um, vanilla Crunch. Oh, man. It's no refined sugar, no refined dairy, none of that shit, baby. It's just straight just chocolate. Just pure Coke? Just pure cocoa? Woo! I am cocoaed up right now. Fat lines of cocoa, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you're crazy. Yes, yes, I am. You crazy? It. On the show today, who we got, Roman? Um, what is this? Okay, it starts with the G, ends with the E. I think it'd be going like Gary Wayne, Gary Wayne, <laughs> Gary Wayne. We are very, very man. This was. An amazing episode, and we both have been waiting a while for this one. Yeah, Gary's fantastic. He's uh, very articulate, well put together. He has an answer for everything, which is beautiful. I appreciate the fact that he has answers for everything, which means he's a well-researched man, and he knows his shit. You know, we get into... Giants, Nephilim, the different angels. We get into a few different etymology things. Uh, We try to break it down. One of the surprising things that he said was that, what was the god of the North? I forget where, man, he said his name was Hell L. Oh, yeah, L. Yes. I like looked at you at that point and I like pointed. I was like, (laughs) 
<laughs> Hell L. His name is Hell L. Jesus. <laughs> no, uh, Hell. I don't know how much more box saga it gets than that. <laughs> um, super interesting. So we're not doing uh, RFTA news today, huh? We're not, no, because um, because we love you guys so much. We just wanted to get right into the meat of this one and didn't want to bore yeah. you with any of our yeah. news things. There's, uh, some, it's a lot to digest. There's a lot of interesting things that we talk about in this episode. So uh, it, it's a little hard to wrap your head around if, if you don't know Bible stuff and angel stuff and I mean, it's it's fascinating. I'm sure everybody will learn something from listening to this episode. Um, and then how does the Nephilim and the giants and this biblical stuff all fit into Tartaria, my brother? Hmm. Hmm. Well, let, let, let's ask these questions. Actually, like, I'm actually kind of don't necessarily know because... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it uh, but I, I, I would, would just say something along the lines of how does anything connect into Tartaria? Because everything does. But why don't you tell us why you think it connects into Tartaria? Uh, well, because from my perspective, um, the tribes of Israel are what form Tartaria, right? You got the tribe of Dan, you got the Scythians and Scythia, mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. right between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. And then you got all these Khans, K-H-A-N. And you got a whole bunch of different types of people in these northern kingdoms. And apparently all these northern kingdoms have uh, some tie to one of the tribes of Israel. So when you talk biblical stuff, and you talk about this bloodline factor uh, that we, we kind of talk a little bit about bloodlines in here, I believe. There, there yeah. is a direct tie-in to the Nephilim and Satan coming down from Mount Hermon and how it's really close to the kingdom of Israel. And then Noah's Ark supposedly landing on Mount Ararat, which is right next to Mount Hermon. So you have this, uh, you know, biblical story almost originating in these areas. And then you have, you know, your flood stories and Atlantis ending in a flood. And the Tartarians seem to be like almost a carryover from Atlantis, I would say. Yeah. I, 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 uh, and what's interesting is they talk about the 13 different bloodlines or the 13 different um ethnicities i guess you could say in box saga how there was three caucasian ones and the 10 tropical ones and it is said that atlantis had 10 kings and when the flood happened those 10 kings spread out over the lands so it's a very interesting connection there like the three caucasian ones stayed in the north but the 10 tropical ones all filled up these different areas after the flood. Even the Egyptians, uh, in some people's viewpoints, they were the survivors of Atlantis. I wonder what else they would bring with them on this, on this 
on this boat, this ark. And was this ark a boat? Was it was it a, was it a flying ship used with ether energy and electromagnetics in consciousness, or was it a wooden yeah. boat? Yeah, I mean, who knows? You know, they say the Titanic I mean, was Tartarian steam engine it was like tartarian technology oh. and one of the reasons why they crashed it was because they found it and they didn't actually know how to drive it and so they were like yeah we know how to do this thing and then when they were out there they actually but we we kind of kind of know that it was also part of the the jp morgan chase bank yeah. situation too right yeah but maybe they did that purposely to uh you know, send the signal that we're taking Yo. over. Smoke signals. Yeah. Smoke stacks. <laughs> ice. Ice. Gotta get that ice, man. Ice. Drippy, drippy, drip. Ah, ice. Uh, so, yeah, Gary Wayne. Fantastic, fantastic. Uh, I hope we have him on again just to talk more biblical stuff. Uh, I find it all so fascinating. I love having biblical conversations with people, even though I am not a Christian or a Catholic or religious in any respect. I still really love to talk about it because uh, it's been a passion of mine since I was younger to research and study the Bible. And so I, I like having those uh, conversations. Me too. They're my favorite, even though they enrage me sometimes. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> but lots of good stuff to learn here from Gary. Um, the totalitarian perspective, you know, with uh, the the Israelites is uh, kind of where I was going with this episode uh, and how it fits into Tartaria. And uh, uh, it's a banger, right? It's a banger, man. Yeah, no, it's pretty dope. I'm really excited. Thank you, everybody. Hey, guess what? Join us on Telegram. Talk with us. Wow. Join the fire tribe. Oh, Because yeah. Instagram's yeah. Hey, we're on Apple Podcasts now, too. Hey, if you were yeah. using us anywhere we're on else. Apple Podcasts now, too. Oh, uh, keeps talking when I'm talking. Who? Butt face. You? Me? Who else is there here? I don't know. There's <laughs> plenty. There's people talking. We're also on Apple Podcasts now. So if you have Apple, you can go check us out there. Sweet. The Forbidden Fruit. We oh, are they there. did that on purpose, didn't they? With the one bite taken out of the apple? Yeah, of course. Also, did you hear Knowledge. about Facebook's rebranding? Oh, of Meta? <laughs> yeah. Like, what in the actual fuck? If we aren't moving towards the technocratic transhumanist takeover, dude, they are trying so hard. It's ridiculous, people. Delete these apps. I'm sorry. Stay on them or do whatever. Whatever. You just know that your your yeah. mind is, your 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 data is getting mined. Okay. Just know that you're willingly participating in having a digital twin of yourself. And it's yeah. just, it's they're, they're the metaverse are going to, oh my God, fucking are you going to be migrating? Are you going to be migrating over to Trump's new uh, social media? 
<laughs> I haven't even heard about this. What is the name of it? Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, Trump's coming out with his own social media platform now. And I, I'm sure a lot of people are going to migrate over there because they're they're Trumpers. But uh, I would recommend maybe not doing it, even though, I mean, Instagram isn't any better. Facebook isn't any better. Facebook Twitter's not Instagram. any better. Yeah. I mean, you know, so, I mean, do what thou wilt. <laughs> and wilt what thou shalt. Yeah, nothing good. Uh, but uh, let's get it cracking, man. Let's get into Gary Wayne. People don't want to hear us. They want to hear fucking Gary Wayne. Gary Wayne, baby. So here we go. Gary Wayne. Wayne. Wake up. Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning into today's show. We are rising from the ashes. And we, as the fire tribe, will rise. Awaken our eyes beyond what is seemingly laid upon us. We can extend our consciousness to the further ends of our cosmic understanding. If you enjoy our show and you like the content that we create, make sure to like, subscribe, share with your friends. Hello, everybody. Yes, please, please, please do. Also, follow us on Instagram at RFTA Podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, you can email us at risingftashes at yahoo.com. We are exclusively on Alt Media United. Check it out, altmediaunited.com forward slash rising. to rising from the ashes i'm danny unaki dan i am the homie romy hello everybody and hello dan hello hello tonight in the house we have gary, gary wayne, wayne author of the genesis 6 conspiracy gary how you doing i am doing very well and uh so excited to be here with you guys tonight and looking for a stimulating conversation Thank you, oh, thank you, yes. thank you. Very much so. So, I straight up with you, I have not read your book. It's been in my Amazon cart for probably over a year. <laughs> but I've heard you on many shows. And uh, I wanted to kind of start with the beginning. 
of of uh, the Garden of Eden and uh, the serpent, and uh, and then we'll lead up to kind of uh, Mount Ararat with Noah and um, Mount Hermon with the fallen angels. Sounds good. All right. Uh, and do you want to tell people a little, uh, since this is your first time on here, do you want to give people a little bio of yourself so uh, they know who you are and sure everything? So my name is Gary Wayne. I'm the author of the Genesis 6 Conspiracy, How Secret Societies and the Descendants of Giants Plan to Enslave Humankind. I call myself a Christian contrarian. In fact, I even do a bi-monthly show called The Christian Contrarian. And so I always find it good to explain what that term means to people. It means that for me that I'm one of those individuals that doesn't necessarily accept something that somebody says is so somebody says is written or what somebody else says is so or has written. So I tend to want to verify it as best as I can so that I can form my my own decisions on that. And I come about my research in the Bible that way and anything else that I research. And then I also research anything that, and, and I do do a lot of research into other religions and mythologies and legends and things, but I measure everything against uh, what's written in the Bible and uh, make sure I can understand what's different and where it sort of divides. My bio is uh, getting into Bible prophecy uh, probably in about 1980 or 81, and through a challenge to read a book by uh, Hal Lindsey, who wrote uh, many books, but the one that was I was challenged to read was uh, The Late Great Planet Earth, and that literally scared the socks off of me, and so I <laughs> wanted to <laughs> verify whether or not Hal was uh, being accurate and uh, manipulating the Bible, and so I started to look up the verses and all of the verses after a few were accurate. And I thought, I need to learn more about this because, again, the Bible's a big book. I'm not all that familiar with it. I was raised in a Christian church, but I had left at that point in time. And so I decided I needed to read the Bible to begin with and read it cover to cover. And I did. And I was absolutely taken, you know, as an adult, an early a young adult uh reading the Bible, but particularly when I got into the New Testament and into the words that Jesus spoke, because that just sort of, it just hit me like a rock that these were words that could not be human. It was just so um, amazingly wise and insightful and everything that sort of goes along with it. So it was kind of an aha moment for me. And then I decided, well, there's so much in the Bible, and if I really want to understand prophecy and want to understand whether or not this is legitimate, is it going to happen? I need to do it in a way that I can understand. So I started reading the Bible again, but logging all the different prophecy narratives that are in the book and putting them and handwriting them down and putting them into files. And of course, very early on into that, you get into the Genesis uh, six verses, uh, one through four, and you get these giants, and I'm going, <laughs> you know, that's too crazy for me. Uh, so I'm just going to leave it. That's not what. That's not what I was going to do. But as you read on and into the Old Testament, these giants and these names that don't go back to the table of nations, because I'm one of those guys where I get a nation in there, and I'm going, okay, well, who are these guys? How do they fit in? I go back to the table of nations and try and find them, but you get all of these nations that don't show up in the table of nations. So I decided, well, I need to start over again, and I need to log 
all of these different references to these peoples not in the table of nations if this is going to make any sense to me. So that's sort of how I got into it. And I don't have a university degree and I don't have a theology degree. And I come by everything through my own research. And I'm also, from a very young age, a history buff and a mythology buff. And so once I had all of this work documented, I thought, and I was working while I was doing this. So, uh, and, and it took me like 15 years before I was in a position where I, do I want to do something with this? And I thought, you know what, I've got 12 or 15 books I could probably write on this, but I don't know whether or not I could write something that uh, actually made some sense to me, let alone to anybody else. Could I get published? Would somebody read it? Would they actually like it? Would I sell any books? And I didn't know that. So the concept that I came up with was, I thought was really, really sort of smart. I want to write a very short book and test the waters out because I don't have a platform. I'm not a minister. I'm not a professor. And here I'm going to try and write a book and I don't have anything that sort of goes along with me as to who I am and how how I'm how am I going to convince people that they should publish this book or why should somebody read it. So I thought I'd write a short book and that was intended to be, you know, maybe a hundred pages or so, maybe two hundred outside. And I wanted to connect what was going on in Genesis six uh with end time prophecy because you get these sort of intersections of angels and demons and um, royal bloodlines and things like that that all seem to be sort of associated with it so I thought can I connect that so that's what I did and I wrote kind of the biblical aspect very very quickly and uh, but then I thought well you know what I bet there's a lot of Christians out there that don't know how other cultures and other religions talk about these same things in prehistory and that they also have their own versions of an end time prophecy or a new age uh, belief that is a similar kind of story told through a polytheist lens versus a monotheist lens. And I'm going to bring some of that in so that people can better understand the comparatives and understand why they believe what they believe and how they're telling, talking about the same events. So I started to do that. And then when I did that, then I thought I needed to get into the religions. And then I had to learn all about the religions. And then when you get into the religions, then you all of a sudden you're into the education systems and the sciences and the knowledge that was being developed. And that was housed through the mystery schools which led me into the secret societies. When I went down secret societies, that was for about 10 years, just trying to figure the whole thing out and see how it fit in. So that's sort of who I am and how I came about this. And I gave, almost gave up writing the book probably 50 times because I just thought, this is crazy. Um, what am I doing? Um, what are people going to say if I do get it published? And it was, but I just, every time I dropped it, I would drop it cold. And I hear this calling coming back and just drawing me back in. And if I was having trouble sort of um, getting some connections or finding some sources that would just sort of, I would come across them or people would send them to me or, or things that were totally out of the normal. And then I would sort of keep going. So that was kind of the whole process. But my bio is basically just your average individual who may be a little bit obsessed, but got mm -hmm. on this <laughs> this path of, I want to learn about what the heck is one third of the Bible all about? 
and that's Bible prophecy. And then it just sort of linked into my other passions. Excellent, man. So do you subscribe to the whole spirit or interdimensional uh, idea or are you more of a terrestrial type of person? I am into the belief and understanding from what I learn in scripture is that there is more than one dimension. And so we know just even with the word heaven, and that's the Hebrew word uh, shama and heaven's shamaim. I am as being the male plural that that includes three heavens as second Corinthians talks about, right? So you've got uh, what's in the firmament and that's all the lights and everything, you know, from the sun inward as being the firmament and then everything that's outside in the physical universe. But the third heaven is the, is the spirit realm where the spirit beings dwell. That's God and the word and the Holy spirit and all the angels that they had created. And so that's a different realm. And then when you really dig into what's going on with the underworld and in the earth and the abyss, you, you understand quite quickly that it's probably not physically in the earth, but in the same position, but in a different dimension. And that there's this crossing that uh, you have to go through that, you know, the travelers out of Ezekiel 39 would cross over and that's the hebrew word a bar means to cross over and typically and not typically because it is used in a thousand different ways but in a lot of applications in the bible has to deal with the dead so there's this division that is either in a different wavelength in a different dimension whatever you call it and we don't know how many different divisions there are within the physical world but what we do know is there's a few different dimensions, and I think we need to be able to factor that kind that that in. Do uh do you think that the um because your book you know secret societies tying in from the the ancient bloodline Nephilim to the point to where we are today in modern society, do you believe that these elites are using um and that these elites are part of the fallen angel bloodline and they're using technologies like CERN to tap into the more heavenly realms? Well, there, there's no doubt that I think we are being quickly expanded in our level of understanding and being coached along and handed things to be able to develop technology in a way that we haven't seen since before the flood. And that this technology comes together in things like quantum computing, which basically, you know, most of the scientists in quantum computing and quantum mechanics saying, if you want to understand this, you have to learn about the up and chads and the betas because you're not going to get it unless you understand that. So it has sort of a polytheist sort of element to that aspect. And once you're into polytheism and you understand that the higher you go, the more educated you are, the more degrees you are in that, you're starting to talk with the spirit realm and they're starting to exchange information. You're probably going to find a connection there. And you also have AI that is sort of this new technology that kind of changes everything once it becomes almost sentient, so to, so to speak, but it's being developed right now. So roll that forward to what you're talking about at CERN. You now have AI and quantum computing that is being used at CERN. So quantum computing is able to uh, work in other dimensions. 
as science is starting to learn about now. And you need AI to send that in more than one sort of single shot at a time so that you can search more and do more. And they're searching for two things. One, I think they're searching for more knowledge uh, to provide uh, for the end time so that people can have this access to all this knowledge of the universe. And that's the ATMA particle that is talked about in the Vedas and the Upanishads and Indian holy scriptures. And that is an invisible particle, which is kind of has the uh, allegory allegorical term as the God particle, even though they kind of mm. um, disassociate and that sort of play it down, but that's actually what they're looking for. And it's invisible and it contains all of the knowledge of the universe and those particles, they're invisible. And then they tend to merge with solid particles or physical particles and through quantum entanglement can send all of that knowledge instantly back and forth throughout the universe. And that's what they're trying to tap into. So they want that. And they also, because it has the ability to go between dimensions, they are trying to tap into another dimension to find the abyss so that they can unlock the gods who created the giants before the flood. And I'm more of a second incursion position for how giants show up after the flood, because it sort of just fits better with the Bible, uh, although I'm open to the other ways. And so those angels, like the Balim, who created the Raphaim after the flood, would have also gone there. So they would like to get all of those individuals out. And before the time of when it's accounted for in Revelations in the last seven years, uh, when they're going to be released. So they're trying to get them out sooner. And what's also kind of interesting about that is that in, if you go to the Babel account of the Tower of Babel and the tower that Nimrod was building and he has just reinstituted, reinstituted the ancient antediluvian religion and has found the knowledge according to the Masons and the polytheists, the knowledge of Enoch's son of King that was hidden underneath the pyramids and they're developing this religion and developing this knowledge, which we sort of see manifested in the wall around Babel, the city being built and the tower being built. And after Babel, Nimrod uh, stays in Shinar, which is Sumer, and he creates, uh, you know, builds some cities like Iraq and Babylon and, uh, you know, starts off, you know, basically building a new empire who the Syrians and other peoples will, will come from. And Akkadian is part of those groups of people. So in Akkadian, their accounting of the Tower of Babel, they have a different meaning for Babel than the Hebrews do, because the Hebrews called it confusion of languages or the definition for Babel. But the Akkadians, they break that down into two words, Bab and El, El being an angel or a god, and Bab as being a gateway. And so it sort of comes together as a stargate or a gateway or a portal into another dimension that it looks like Nimrod may have been wanting to do. And because he's reinstituting the the, the worship of those rebellious angels, I think he's trying to get into the abyss to let them out. Interesting. Wow. <laughs> yeah, gee. Um, look. I do kind of want to start with uh, the Adam and Eve story. Uh, maybe not so much about them, but they had three sons, correct? 
Correct. And and more sons and daughters after the three that we're told about. So you have Cain and Abel, and of course, Cain kills Abel, and then Seth um, when Adam is 130 years old, and then sons and daughters after that. Right. So is is the Canaanites the son of Cain or the sons of Canaan? Well, Canaan is after the flood. Okay. Right. So that's the offspring of, of Ham, one of the sons yeah. of Ham. Yeah. So, but there's definitely an etymological name that is sort of connected to that. And of course, with Canaan's curse as well, just as you've got basically a curse on Cain. So there's, there's a lot of connections there. And of course, the Canaanites are going to intermarry with the Raphaim. And that's why you have patriarchalist tribes nine of the 12, because you don't get Rephaim patriarchs listed in the table of nations. That's why they're patriarchless. Um, Just like Anak, uh, their father is Arba. He's not in the table of nations. Uh, so there's there's this sort of connection that's going on with what Cain did and what Canaan is, is going to do, just as you have Kenites after the flood, that their name actually goes back to the same Hebrew word of Cayenne or, you know, with a Q-A-I-Y-N transliterated spelling that uh, is identical to Cain. And it's exactly, you know, they're, they, they've either... And I think they're actually a Raphaim tribe after the flood, and they've taken the name of Cain after after the flood. Okay, uh, so does the line of Noah come from Seth? Seth? Yes, the lineage of Noah comes from Seth, and the lineage of Cain, uh, you know, is going to include many names that sound just like the lineage of Seth. So Genesis. Uh, Four has the lineage of Cain, then it begins right at the end with the lineage of Seth. Uh, and then Genesis 5 will give you all of the uh, Sethian genealogies going forward after, after that. So then where does Satan come from? Does he, is he just not part of any of this? He's just, he comes down from or in through some other dimension or... Well, Satan is a title. So, and it means adversary and Satan doesn't end with an angelic name. So what I mean by that is, is Michael and Gabriel all end in EL for an angel or a God, right? Oh, yeah. And so even if you get some of the names that are in the Apocrypha, of the King James Version Bible, you'll get Uriel and you'll get Raphael. So four of the seven that are named in, in the book of Enoch. And even the chief angel of the rebellious angels, his name is Azazel. It ends in Yale and pretty much all the names mm-hmm. in the book of Enoch end in Yale. So Satan's a title. Um, I think we do get his name and Remember, Satan is such a high-level, powerful angel. He will have many positions and many titles and maybe many names before he's degraded to Satan status. So in the book of Enoch, degraded, you have, huh? degraded, yeah, you have Satan and Satan. So Satan even has high-level angels answering right to him 
according to the book of Enoch, and the, they're called the Satans, or um, there's a, another title for them I won't bore people with, but um, Satan uh, in the Bible, we do get one connection to what I think is one of what might be one of Satan's names. And so in Isaiah 14, 12, uh, the famous uh, verse that has Lucifer in it, that's not a Hebrew name. Lucifer is an Italian word for mm. Venus and light that's inserted into the English language for a Hebrew word, which makes no sense. That's And only in the King James Version Bibles and Bibles that are translated from the KGV do we get it. The actual word is Hail El, H-E-Y-L-E-L. So I think that would be one of his names. You also get like a Gadreal in the book of Enoch that uh, means the wall of God and uh, is in Eden, just as Satan, as in his cherubim form, uh, was also in Eden in Ezekiel 28. Um, oh, man, I have a couple more questions, too. So does that <laughs> mean... Lo- loaded it on like some yeah. fresh plate of nachos. <laughs> does that mean Jesus and Yahweh are titles also well i well, i don't think we know their real name uh okay. we, we 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 couldn't pronounce it and we couldn't understand it uh yeah joshua right joshua yeah yeshua uh, joshua essentially the same name yeah so then that wouldn't have an angelic name so yeah so they're but that's because they're above the angels right so um. Uh, the word who became flesh also created all things, all the physical world. And as in uh, Colossians uh, chapter one, I think about verse 16, it talks about not only creating everything as being the firstborn of creation and then creating everything, but also creating all of the angels as well. So they would be they would be lower than him. At least, mm-hmm. And what's interesting, though, is, you know, just not to go down a rabbit trail for too long, but the word was made flesh. So he, he is the word of God who becomes Jesus. And then in the book of Hebrews, we're told that because he has become flesh and he's going to do the sacrifice for all of the sins of the world as the creator at God's command. He is uh, created through into Jesus as lower than angels and then raised again above them. It's like it's quite a little circle of but definitely above them. And I mean, could the real names end in L possibly, but we don't get that. We get Elohim and we get Yahweh and yeah. versions of those, right? Uh, Lord or L E L means Lord though. Doesn't it just mean, isn't that just a title also? Well, actually the word Lord comes from a in okay. Hebrew, my Lord, actually add on and a would be the my, so, you know, you get uh, Adonai uh, that's used, I think, 427 times and is literally translated as such as my Lord or Lord. But you've got over 6,000 times where you've got Elohim and Yahweh translated as Lord that it makes no sense even translating that. So that that's an applied term by the English translators. No, I think it's an appropriate term, but that's not typically what the polytheists will use. They will look at Adonai, whom the Hebrews also, uh, have, you know, had called 
God because they didn't want to use Yahweh. Um, they will look at that as being a slur, as a, a, a degradation of the God of the Bible. And they will call, the Freemasons call the God of the Bible Adonai, and equal to uh, Adonai of the Greek pantheon. Or and an a, yeah, and, and an angel, not a god, as we would know it as the omnipotent god most high, but an angel whom is equal to other angels like Satan. Hmm. Um, so I don't mean to go off biblical topic, but in Egypt, it was uh, Set that decapitated all of Osiris and spread them all over the lands, right? Correct. Seth is the uh, sort of Satan-like figure of the Egyptian pantheon. So do you but, think that but, has... But, 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 <laughs> when you're talking about Osiris and Isis and Seth, those are post Diluvian gods. They existed in the antediluvian epoch, but they had parent gods. So like Ra would be one, and Ta would is another name, mm-hmm. um, uh, and Anubis, and gods like that would be part of the Ogdo parent gods. So just as in um, Sumeria, you would have Anu uh, and uh, Tiamat and Absu and all these parent gods, and the offspring gods would be gods that you might be familiar with, like Anki and Enlil, and they're ruling after the flood, just as El in Canaan was the parent god, and Baal in Mot, and the offspring gods rule after the flood, and and are the Baalim. Doesn't uh, EA sound a lot like AI? Run that by me again, please. The name for Enki is also EA, or EA. Yeah. Doesn't that sound also like AI? It does, absolutely. And you get a lot of similarities and transliterations from the different cultures because you have similarities in Semitic languages. There's Mm -hmm. a number of Semitic languages. Yeah. And so you get like EL for a god or Mm -hmm. Elohim. You get that reverberated throughout the Middle East as AL or I-L, or I-L-U, or A-L-L-A-H as a um, uh, female version. A-H is is the uh, um, female suffix, and all sorts of very close transliterations. What what do you think the U at the end of the name represents, just the letter U? Does that have any connotation, like L? Because you have, like, uh, Dan New, or you have... uh, Iridu, or you have these places with the U at the end. Yeah, that typically is more Mesopotamian um, okay. languages than, than the Hebrew. And is that the same as L then, but just in Mesoamerican or Mesopotamian? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I don't think so. Um, you also have, like in, in Hebrew, you've got many places and nouns that will have a um, a place, and it can be a male and a female for the most part, sort of suffix. So mm-hmm. you even and even things that you know you know are gender, so concrete objects like they could just like French, you would have male and female, no matter whether it's an it or not, right? So mm-hmm. um, that's typically how it's how it's uh, how how it's done. I'm not an expert on Sumerian or Mesopotamian okay. languages, though. No worries. Uh, 
what do you, what are your thoughts on raw do you believe do you think that he is the same like satan representation or just a sun god totally different or yeah that's a really good question so uh, and now we're talking about the parent gods and I would I would say Satan is higher still. I would say okay. Ra would be more equivalent to an Azazel. And because Ra is part of this group of gods, he may be the one that's running things. But typically when you get into um a lot of the polytheism and the main gods, there's typically eight. You've got seven and then one that's above. Oh. Or and sometimes in Gnosticism, it's a little bit more abstract as more of a more of a universal life force. But I would picture Satan as above, and those seven would be the seven loyal archangels or Satans that were, you know, with him as his as as his leaders. So one of the reasons why I come to that is because in Isaiah 14 again. Satan wanted to be like God and tried to raise his throne to be heaven like God. And so God sits above the congregation. And so in Psalm 82, you have the congregation of the gods who are governing the earth. So I think he would sit above that congregation. So if you can imagine the host of angels Host is the word Saba, and that means, uh, you know, like a large number, but more typically as an army, and an army has rank, and so there will be like one supreme leader, right? Just as God is, is sits above all of the loyal angels, I think Satan sits above all of the rebellious angels. How, how do you spell Saba? T-S-A-B-A. Okay, because I thought maybe that had connection with like Sabbath, the Sabbath. It's close. It's close. Yes, but not quite. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I kn- I know you do a lot of etymology stuff, and I'm fascinated by the language and the words. That's why I'm asked because I th- I believe a lot of uh, uh, biblical stuff came out of Egypt. I mean, it all started in Egypt and in Mesopotamia with Ur and Abraham, and then. Moses in Egypt. So Egypt plays a a big part to me. I think that's kind of why I'm going into who these other gods might be to see if, you know, can decipher these things out. But um, one of the other questions I have is when, when is this flood time? Like, when do you think this global flood or biblical flood had happened what I think is the the flood happens from the chronology that were provided biblically, and that would place it, depending on how you know you, you add up the the years there. But typically, it's about twenty three forty eight. Uh, I leave room um, from you know twenty yeah, twenty three forty eight, as I recall. So I leave room from twenty three fifty to twenty four fifty in that. Um, just. Uh, to sort of sort of keep that in, in in mind, so I think that's kind of in the zone where things start to make sense with dating in the post-Diluvian dynasties and kingships. I know secular science tends to say twenty nine fifty to thirty fifty, so using sort of that same sort of window, but they tend to count some of the dynasties twice because a lot of the kings had many many names, and so they've 
and and Roll and David Roll did a lot of good research on this in terms of um, setting the chronology straight. If you take out some of the ones that have been counted twice, you get very close to the dating of the flood that's in the Bible. And then Babylon was post flood. Both. Not Babylon, but uh, the Tower of Babel. Yeah, after the flood. So after flood. Yeah. And that's one of the things when people are looking at history and prehistory is is look at things, whether or not you believe in the flood or not, but just look at that cutoff because there's two different worlds and times that are that are being talked about, whether or not it's within the Bible or in all the other religions and mythologies and histories of the world, because it's in the flood is in all cultures in, in their histories. So you have to recognize right. that and then things start to make sense. Otherwise you get confused with the gods and the peoples and the, and, and the names, because you can have names that are the same before the flood and after the flood. Okay. So, so we got to divide it by before flood and after flood kind of 80 and uh, BC, but further back. Yeah. Do you think the great flood was a, a, a the, the like apocalypse between the ages no this is i think this is still the same age so okay. i think i think when we're talking about ages we're talking something greater than a few thousand years i think we're talking something more significant uh, i do think you can make a case in the bible for being a very ancient world and uh but that's before uh, day one okay because uh, some people think that maybe the uh the younger driest period was the flood time but you just think that was probably pre-diluvian well uh you have depending depending again how you want to count the days of creation and when adam is actually created you can get a little extra time so in Second Peter, we learn about a day being a thousand years to, as God will look at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you were to apply that, and we don't know when, when Adam was created because you get um, that account coming in Genesis 2. And the reason why I say we don't know it, because that account is totally at odds with the day six account. And I don't believe the Bible is in contradiction. So everything from Adam being created singular with Eve later, and in day six, you have multiple people being created male and female at the same time to spread out through the world. Adam is put into the garden on and on and on with all. And I've got a document for people on it where I just highlight all of the differences. But believe me, you don't get very far along and say, hey, you just can't have Bible just can't have these kind of contradictions. So I'm looking at Adam as being created after day six. So you you can get a period that goes back um, from day six um, to whenever Adam is. You could create not only 3000 years of additional time, but maybe more because we don't know exactly when uh, Adam is created because it doesn't say day eight. It just mm-hmm. says we get the Eden, you know, we, gets right into you know the adam account after after genesis one um so you get a little bit of a space there and in that space you could have had other kinds of floods you could have had other types of catastrophes and you've had these people of day six so they could be a little bit older i'm not saying 
basics, people are a different species because man in Genesis 1 goes back to the same word as Adam, which is Adam. So he's definitely the same species, just created differently for a different commission. But if you're talking about a different age, then that would be way greater than that space. That would be some, you know, what happened between Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. Yeah, well, an age, uh, some people say is about 24 to 2600 years, uh, possibly even longer than that, uh, depending upon if you go by a solar or a moon calendar. Um, so about 20, yeah, about 2260 years, I think is the celestial procession of an age. Yeah, that's why I asked about the flood time because it seems like that might have been an apocalyptic time if you think. 2348 and then if we think that maybe the new ad area or era was the time that begins the period of jesus then we're in that Pisces in another era age now again. yeah yeah so that yeah. would be kind yeah. of like the apocalyptic time between yeah. the ages yeah so i have a qu- i have a question for you gary i got two questions um what is your a belief and opinion on the actual purpose of the flood um, and, and if it served a purpose. And then also when you do your research, what is your number one like version of the Bible or, you know, source resource material that you feel comfortable um, using? Well, let me answer the, the last one first and I'll come back. So when I came back to God um, I couldn't read the King James Version Bible without my mind going to, to mush. Uh, <laughs> just the, just the uh, King James Version language of that period. Just, it just, I just couldn't read lots of it. And so I went, I came back using the new international version. Over time, though, I've expanded and I use the KGB because now I understand it better based on a modern language, but I use still six different Bibles. And try in when I'm trying to zero in on specific verses to see how they're interpreting that. And then I also look through the King James Version. I take that back to Hebrew and to Greek so that I can try and fully understand what, what that meaning is. So, um, so my advice is, is to, I mean, all, all translations for me are, are good. Find the one that, uh, you can read with comfort and understanding whether or not it's a King James Version model or any of the ones spun off or uh, an NASAB or, or whichever one. So um, in terms of the flood, uh, you know, I learned sort of quickly to take a position on things that happen are all seen from the end, from the beginning, from the Alpha Omega. And so... God knew everything that was going to happen before anything was created. And he's allowing things to play out through free choice. God also understood all the way along that the rebellious angels were going to try and eliminate humankind. And the main cause for the flood was the creation of the giants. And most people don't realize that Genesis 6, 1 through 4 were the sons of God go to daughters of men and create giants as it's in the King James version Bible or Nephilim as it's uh, listed in some of the more modern 
translations. And Nephilim is the Hebrew word nephil with the I-M male plural, just as seraphim has an I-M male plural from seraph. Uh, it's a common male plural term- terminology or gibberim, people may have heard that, or cherubim. It's that same sort of consistent sort of um, plural. You have these giants that were created and it is in the preamble to the flood story. And in Genesis 5, you get right at the, or yeah, Genesis 5, you get the end of the genealogies that shows Noah and his three sons. Then you get Genesis 1, uh, 6, 1 through 4 with the creation of the giants. And then you get, again, we're told as, as a reminder and a bookend of Noah, his three sons, and the world is corrupt and what his commission is going to be. And so the world had become corrupt. And corrupt is more than just violence, and it's more than just godlessness. Corrupt is the Hebrew word shakath, which means destroyed, ruined, decayed, all of these horrible things. So the whole Earth had become corrupt, including the humans. And corrupt, when you're talking about corrupt, that is not only spiritually, but physically. And so I think Noah was selected because his genome had not been affected by the introduction of these angelic human hybrids who were absolutely totalitarian monsters who were created to destroy humankind and lead them away and into oblivion. And only eight were chosen as pure in spirit and in physicality to go on the ark. And I think that also explains why kind as in species, when you see the word kind used in the Bible, it's defined as species, that each representative's two uh, by a unclean animal, seven by a clean animal, were called to the ark. They were called to the ark because God knew which animals didn't have their genome uh, altered as well, or DNA, I'm sorry. I said genome, I'm talking about the plant world. And also all of the plants were also corrupted. So the world needed a start free of this corruption. But that doesn't didn't mean that he was going to prevent giants from being recreated because fallen angels still had free choice. Humans would still have free choice going forward. And those decisions would likely repeat what happened before the flood, what happened before in the angelic rebellion, and would continue to happen and would be a plague on the earth. But through free choice, because God is greater than free choice, is going to let all things play out so that all the names that were written in the book of life from before creation are going to be fulfilled. Wow. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with with the whole Satan thing, and uh, what do you think the in the Garden of Eden Satan wanted to give knowledge, or the serpent, I guess, wanted to give knowledge to uh, Adam and Eve? It's a really good question. And, you know, what the Nakash or the Nahash, as it's pronounced in Hebrew, the serpent said to Eve, and I think he was coached by 
Satan, by the way, or avatared by him, just as Satan would have entered into Judas. But this is definitely a different being, a walking, talking, intelligent being uh, who loses its intelligence, voice, legs. Um, Satan, that didn't happen to Satan. (laughs) So it was the, the serpent that was punished. So he may have coached or been part of it, but it's actually this being that is a serpentine being that is there to uh, deceive Eve, who do, who convinces Adam to also eat of the fruit. And the idea is, is that they wouldn't die if they ate from the tree, at least not there, but they would become like God, knowing knowledge of good and evil. So knowledge was taught to Adam and Eve in Eden. They were running this enormous, gigantic-sized garden that had orchards and forests and ranches and all of these animals. So they would have had to have terrific knowledge taught to them by God to be able to do this. And there's streams running through them. And so what the serpent does, he's saying... You need to not only know that knowledge that God taught you that is all good and being used for good. You need to know how knowledge can be used on both sides of the coin so you can be like God. And what happens is that they're going to be ostracized from Eden. And this is Satan's first revenge to, to, to ensure humankind would not be raised in the future time to be like angels and to judge angels for the crimes against creation and the crimes against humanity that they've done by that fall. Of course, God already knew this was going to happen, but what Adam and Eve didn't really realize is that they would no longer have access to the garden, which had the tree of life and the tree of life that they were eating from And as long as they were following God's ways, they would have access to that. They actually had immortality on on the earth, but they lost that because they did not have any longer access to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden because it was protected by two cherubim. They weren't going to get back in. So to me, that's the first revenge. The second revenge that Satan does is he gets his uh, host of rebellious angels and the leaders, 200 of them as the book of Enoch counts them mm-hmm. to create the giants who are going to usurp the antediluvian world, enslave humankind, do all sorts of horrible things to them, eat them, drink their blood, enslave them, use them in rituals and drive the epoch- uh, the antediluvian world to the point of the apocalypse where it's going to have to be completely destroyed or have eight that are spared along with the representative animals that are also uncontaminated to start the new the new age off in the, in the post-diluvian epoch. Uh man. What do you think that uh, the fall was for Satan, just the fact that he wanted to be the, the ruler, uh, he wanted dominion over the earth, or because it seems like he had that already. He, well, he did, and he wanted to be like God. And what that means is he wanted to be equal to God. He wanted to have his own realm. Okay. 
and and not be under any sort of supervision or answerable to God. So were all of these angels all interdimensional or were they physical? Well, all angels are spirit. And their home and their home is in heaven. Okay. But that doesn't mean they don't interact in the physical world. And so you, you, they can interact two ways. One is an opalescent being. That's a being of light that is basically non, um, sort of physical or non concrete. Um, or they can take a form. So like the glowing orbs would be angels. It possibly could be because they are just beings of light and the orbs, you know, are essentially do that. Or it could be a technology of the fallen angels, too. I mean, we don't know. Um, So, but the big thing to remember is, is that somehow they can take a physical form. And a lot of people say, well, how how can that be? Spirit beings, you know, because they can't have sex. So... Mm -hmm. In Jude 1 6, you have the angels being, the rebellious angels being recorded as leaving their habitation um, in the times of Noah. And that word habitation is the Greek word oikotarian. And it's used one other place in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 5 for the house in heaven. And oikotarian means a dwelling place for the spirit. And so they left. The heaven, which is a different body, a spiritual body, to go to the physical world, and they can remain a spirit, but if they want to interact in the physical world, they're going to need an oikotarian in the physical world. And an oikotarian is the dwelling place that's made up of the soul and the body, just as we're told there's a spirit, soul, and a body. So you need a soul and a body to house the spirit in the physical world, if you want to interact in the physical world. So if you look at the word being made flesh, the Holy Spirit comes along Mary and is going to create that oikotarian, the soul and the body, so that when it's developed, the word can enter into it as spirit and become flesh in Jesus. So for Jesus to interact in the world and to be sacrificed in the world, which is probably the real key for the atonement for the sins, he needed to have a physical form. Why Why was it a sin to uh, be with the human women uh, to copulate with them? Well, first of all, and we're told in Matthew and Luke that in heaven, you don't need to have marriage and you don't need to have sex because you're, you're, they're already immortal and God has created all of these immortal beings. And that we like angels, once we're resurrected, we'll be like angels. And we will no longer have to to do that as well. So there's obviously laws that God sets up with everything, whether or not it's the laws of the universe in terms of of physics and things like that, gravity and everything else, but also laws in terms of the interaction that was going to be permitted in this world. And it was a violation of the laws of creation to create immortal beings that became the Nephilim before the flood in a physical body with a counterfeit spirit that came from the angels. All spirit 
that's created comes through the Holy Spirit at God's command that were set from the beginning. So these are in violation of those names that were written in the book of life from the beginning. So the, the Nephilim were the, the pre-Diluvian giants? Yes. Uh, because I thought it said that when the angel, when Satan and his angels had sex with the human women, they created Nephilim. Well, maybe I misunderstood what you were asking. Because uh, Satan Satan actually didn't create any Nephilim, but the fallen angels that... Through um, sexual intercourse. Through sexual intercourse before the flood created the Nephilim. Okay. So when it, in Genesis 6, when it says the children or the, the sons of God came down and had sex with the children of men yep. and created the Nephilim, that yep. was pre-Diluvian? Yeah, that was before the flood. Yes. Ah. Does, uh, is there a lot of times the, you know, people are trying to figure out the symbolism within the, the Adam and the serpent story. And, um, I, I often ponder, is it, is it the seed of knowledge? Is that supposed to be sex? Is it sperm? Is that, um, like, were they, was the garden, um, you know, the heavenly realm where, it was it was perfect, and they didn't need to to have these like lower vibrational things uh, like sex. And then was basically Satan or the fallen angels coming to 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 the people and and using that as as this as this you know this apple this forbidden apple. Well, I think there's two different things going on, and, and I do know there's a lot of people, and particularly. Um, polytheists, but a lot of Christians also fall into a category where they believe that Satan had sex with Eve, and that's the serpent seed. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's the serpent seed that is talked about in in, uh, Genesis 3.15. I'm open to that idea, but I tend to uh, look at Scripture not saying that and mm-hmm. in fact and i've got like a four-part document series on it for people if they want to get a hold of me because there's so many different aspects and but if you if you if you read uh, scripture carefully again it's not satan who had sex because he didn't go to the abyss he didn't have his arms hacked off um and but i don't think that the that the knowledge is the serpent seed i think that's the illicit knowledge being handed down from the fallen angels that merges with the knowledge that Enoch son of Cain had um, funneled off into the seven sacred sciences that we know as the seven liberal arts that merged with that at the time of the creation of the giants uh, by, by the angels. So you have that, that knowledge of the fallen angels um, that is going to be used in a way that is not good. And it's illicit knowledge, not, permitted by God. So again, another violation of what they were doing. And so I think that that's part of what plagues humankind after Eden, after the flood, even to this day, but that's not the serpent seed. And I think the serpent seed is is literal, but it comes from the creation of the giants in Genesis 6. And, And how I get there is that you have the sons of God, which are angels, we know that because in Job 38, 4 through 7, the sons of God were there with the morning stars at creation. And God's 
I mean, uh, sons of God and stars and the host and angels are all inter- used interchangeably in the Old Testament and are uh, used together throughout. So you, you get very quickly that they're talking about the same types of being, just as you've got the sons of the Most High, the gods and the Council of the Gods in um, Psalm 82. So over and over and over, we get this understanding that these are the angelic beings, but of a specific order or group or multiple orders, depending on how you want to understand that, called the watchers that first Enoch talk about talks talks about. And even though they're not called sons of God, the sons of God aren't called watchers in the Bible in Genesis 6, Enoch will place sons of God as part of the watchers. The watchers, though, are used in Daniel 4, four times. So we do get that term. And they do come from the throne of God. And the watchers in Enoch were the archangels, the seraphim, the ophanim, which are the ones in the wheels in Ezekiel 1 and 10. The word for wheel is ophan. I am is the male plural for the ophanim that Enoch talks about. And the cherubim. And so... The, the the watchers that are being talked about in Daniel and in Genesis 6 are the seraphim that are described in Isaiah 6 as six-winged angels who work before the altar of God and are the fiery serpent-faced angels. Now, if you go back to what we were just talking about just a couple of minutes ago, you have them creating their own oikaterian, their own physical body where they can reproduce their own DNA, if they're going to have offspring, they're going to look just like the fathers. And that's why you have so much of the kings in antediluvian history being called serpents, associated with the serpents and cobras, and why the gods were called serpents and cobras that were running the earth. There are different kinds of gods but they are it's prevalent all over the world with the same type of imagery for the same type of beings and positions. So I think that's the serpent seed that happens in Genesis 6 as the second revenge. Wow. That's interesting. Um that that leads me into uh something else just to just stay within this this you know timeline of the Adam and serpent story and the serpent seed um to me in my eyes it's it it um it almost sounds like what we're dealing with in modern time uh would be um transhumanism almost um this this like connection to you know this need to implant technology robotics to the human body because like you said earlier you know the body and the soul to create and then the spirit comes with that but there's this this fourth you know technological arm that's being impeded and inevitably seems like it is going to happen um and it's it's a high mission to basically have it be a part of human society and which has never been seen before um, from my understanding. So uh, w- what's your opinion on, on that? Well, I think what's going on is, is that just as the antediluvian world was being ramped up in its technology, we're just catching up to that now. So that when Jesus provides his overarching signs, and he gave two to all the other events in the chron- 
chronological order that they would happen. You get the fig tree generation at, at the end of those other signs, and then you get, it will also be like the days of Noah. And he uses the exact same words as that describes the days of Noah in Genesis 9.29, that the days of Noah were, you know, 600 years before the flood and 350 years after the flood. So the, the days of Noah, exactly the same thing, even though you have Greek into English and then Hebrew into in, in English. So if that's the case, then we're just catching up to that kind of technology. Now, if you also understand that not only did the fallen angels who broke the laws of creation and did horrible things went to the abyss, so do the terrible ones that are described in the Old Testament and the branch of the terrible ones that did it. And that's also before and after the flood. And the terrible ones are described in the book of Isaiah, but more specifically to the abyss as we get that connection in Ezekiel 32 where the terrible ones who did terrible things to humans when they were on the earth and were killed. When they died, they went down to the cells on the outside of the abyss. And they're now in this prophecy speaking to the Pharaoh at that time, who's another Raphaim, which is a post-Diluvian giant distinction between Raphaim and Nephilim. And so when their bodies died, and in Genesis 6-3, God limits life to 120 years because the immortal spirit, the counterfeit spirit from the fallen angels went into a physical body, into a physical world, creating a physical God. In the Nephilim, God ends that. A lot of people think that 120 years is Noah's commission, except that where it's put and the time from when... Uh, we get the counting you get and, and, and the birth of, of his children. You only get a hundred years. It's not 120. And, and again, I don't believe the Bible contradicts itself. If you take Genesis 6, 3 back to, um, its Hebrew meanings, you, you know, it's not talking about Noah. It's talking about life and a generation. And so when the Nephilim's body died or they were killed and or the terrible ones of the Raphaim after the flood, because it's a counterfeit spirit, they're not permitted to sleep like humans. Mm-hmm. And so their body isn't permitted to go to heaven either. So it has to roam the earth. These are the demons. And again, I have a great document for people on how we know the evil spirits and devils that Jesus are, are, is dealing with in the New Testament are demons and who the demons are. And these demons, as Jesus describes them, are wandering in dry places and they're like, thirsting to have a body for rest and to be able to interact in the world again. So I think the technology that's being ramped up, whether it's in transhumanism or let's say in clone technology, they're trying to build oikotarians, a dwelling place for the spirit. So these demon spirits, not only the ones that are going to be released with the abyss and the fallen angels that are going to come out with them, in the end time, but the ones that aren't in the abyss, just as demons like Jesus had to deal with, like the legion demons are still mm-hmm. roaming. If, if they're going to take partake in the end time, and I think they're going to, they're going to need a body. They're going to need that 
oiketarian to physically interact in the world. And I think that's what that technology, whether it's clone technology or transhumanism, is going to be creating for um, these demon spirits. So uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this term, but have you heard of NPC? I have, yep. A non-player character. So do you think that the oiketarians are NPCs? And just filled with a, uh, it's a, typically, um, that NPC to me, and, and maybe I've misunderstood it, but my sort of take on it is that they're talking about this avatar avatar effect. Yes. And that's, that's a little bit different. So okay. in a possession of yeah. when a demon takes possession of a body, it's not a symbiotic relationship. It is. Takeover gotcha. and suppression of, mm-hmm. of, of the, of the host. And there's this war going on. And you see all of the physical manifestations that go on with that. In the avatar, as in a god or an angel, uh, and the avatara, which would be the human, uh-huh. it's more of a symbiotic relationship. And they're almost like they're being invited in and they're adding wisdom knowledge power whatever it is to that human so vishnu which was a god in the indian pantheon was Mm -hmm. the avatar for the avatara buddha and i think 16 other times um vishnu was uh, recorded um doing the avatar avatara effect just as shiva which is the destroyer god, you know, kind of associated with Azazel in, in the bat and Apollyon in the abyss, also incarnated into individual beings like Narashima. And so that's, that to me is, is a completely different sort of aspect, um, as to what angels can do. And we do get that example in the Bible. And I think we, we don't get told explicitly that's what Satan does with the Nakash serpent but we get another example that says that he can do that and that's in the time of jesus when judas is at that tipping point to betray jesus or not and it looks like he he can't do it on his own and then satan enters into judas to help Mm. him give him the strength to to betray jesus and i think that's what that nbc would be closer to and in the end time, you're going to have Antichrist who's going to receive all of his power from the dragon, uh, which is a seraphim angel, which is one of the titles and looks to Satan, who is called in Revelation 12, a dragon, a serpent, and the devil. Um, and I think that's that av- avatar, avatar effect. And I also think Satan does that to help fake the resurrection of Antichrist, who also receives that mortal head wound in Revelation 13, but lives. Hmm. That's really, 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 really interesting. Um, that's there's so many depictions. I mean, the, I've never heard the that dragon that dragon theory too. And there's so many depictions of dragons all across, you know, ancient history. So that's well for people who want to get. People want to see a, a, a watered-down dragon face or serpent face because a dragon and a serpent 
were known as as the same type of being uh, in the ancient world, either either as gods or physical beings. And so with that serpent face, that's the thing you got to keep in mind. A dragon has a serpent face. Now, if somebody Googles Akhenaten, mm-hmm. the uh, father of King Tut, yes. Obama, yes. and look at that face, you're going to see over a thousand years after the Bob, after the Bob, after the floods, uh, using biblical chronology or, you know, over 1500 years using secular chronology, uh, a Raphaim bloodline of the pharaohs. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you've got that protruding chin, okay. high cheekbones, thin lips, these large wraparound eyes. And if you look at that from the front or from the side, it is very serpent-like, and of course that elongated skull. Elong, and they ha- do are do they also have the long necks? Well, yeah, they did because uh, as Raphaim, certainly they were renowned for having uh, long necks, and the Anakim, who were um, post-Diluvian giants that were a branch of the Raphaim. And of course, Anakim are compared to giants and or they're actually called Nephilim in some of the translations in number 1333. That's not quite accurate. That's the embellishment part of the, of the story. The Anakim kings that they're talking about, Ahiman, Telmai, and Seshai are actually, uh, Raphaim. And we know they're Raphaim because in Deuteronomy 2, it lists the giants and the word giant there is Rapha and the I am for the male plural Raphaim, as opposed to in Numbers 1333, twice it has giant, and that's Nephil or Nephilim, and it's only used three times in the Bible. Once before the flood where the original Nephilim were created, and then the embellished part of the report in Numbers 1333, but everywhere else they are giants as in Raphaim. And so where I'm going with this is the Anakim. Um, Part of that meaning in Hebrew is long neck. And just as Og, King Og, who's the last of the Raphaim, the last of the giants, last of, I think, the post-Diluvian second incursion of these giants, his name also means long neck. So they did have long necks, and they did have these elongated skulls and these serpent-type figures and serpent-type faces, and over time, that's look has been diluted just as you start to see that dilution yeah. in Akhenaten statue. Ne- Nefertiti definitely had a very long neck statue. Yeah. Yes. Doesn't, doesn't Akhenaten look like Obama though? I mean, I swear that looks like Obama. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there's certainly a, a similarity there. In- um, pa- uh, Peru is known as, uh, or Piru. It means devil. And uh, they find a lot of the elongated skulls there. Um, so is, is that similar to like what the serpent uh, being would look like, the the Raphaim? And then uh, yes. the dragon-headed one, what what were the characteristics of the this dragon face? Were they like, uh, did well, they the, have the horns? No, the dragon face would be the same as the serpent face. They okay. were they were the same in uh, in in history. We get the different sort of looks of dragon being sort of changed over time okay. uh, as it comes down and and embellished in that kind of look. So, um, 
you know, typically you don't, you don't get, uh, too much for horns on, um, and angelic beings, but, you know, you can get some looks in some of the degraded angels, like the satyrs, they have some different kinds of looks and would have some horns. So I think that's mm. where you get, um, that sort of connection. And so satyr is a devil goat God, right? Mm-hmm. Goat with horns, right? Yes. And so Azazel, Baphomet, uh, Pan, Bacchus, Cernunodos, Cern from the Etruscan um, pantheon um, are all satyr gods. And these are degraded uh, gods who aren't in, in the abyss. So you have this order of satyr gods, and satyr shows up in the Bible in Isaiah 13 and uh, Isaiah 34. And what's interesting about the word satyr, it has the same root word as S, which is kind of partial of a word. Uh, Snake? No, more sab for hair, um, just as you have... Um, Oh, I'll come back to that in, in, in a, a Sierra is, is, is a similar word, uh, that also goes back to satire. Satire. And, and seer, it was hairy, but the eye ear part. If you take watcher in Daniel four back to Hebrew, that's the Hebrew word ear. And so you have now this hairy watcher and that's the degraded aspect to the fallen seraphim angels, I think. Um, because you do et- you're into etymology, I always wondered about the word uh tan t a n like what is there a meaning behind that word not not that I've come across I can't say I've done a lot of research why 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 do you ask that uh because there's titans there's satan there's sultan there's a lot of uh tan yeah yeah, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a something certainly worth, uh, worth looking into. What, what does that tan or an aspect of it? Um, yeah, <laughs> what's it have to do with like, if, is there, because to me, it seems like words were broken down into yep. syllables, sort of like yep. Sumerian and each syllable meant something. So when you put yep. the two syllables together, you would create words. Yep. So, uh, that's why I'm trying to figure out well, what, what's well, that tan mean? And, if you put, I'll do some speculation here. If you put some facts on the table that we do know is that many of the kings took many different names and those names would represent and, um, the gods that they worship and they would take those names in, um, um, in honor of the gods. So, you know, you have, uh, like, uh, a moon as being uh, one of the gods. So a uh, moon otap would be a name that a pharaoh would take, right? Yeah, so you've yeah. got that. So that tends to be part of a number of the uh, names of kings, just as Hammurabi would have that. And uh, and you've got the god Amur in there, um, which was the Mesopotamian yeah. um, Baal god. And Ra. And and in yeah, that in there as well, and also possibly uh, Rafa uh, for Wrong. and uh, as in the Raphaim um, mm-hmm. or Raphael. I mean, depending on Ross where you everywhere. think that that's yeah. So, I guess what I think it might be is it might be representative of a god, 
And so if you look at the parent god of the Sumerians, that was Anu or An. An, yes. So I'm wondering whether or not that might be what's going on with that type of representation. Because you see Anu and An show up in a lot of different mm-hmm. variations, like Anjou is yeah. comes from the uh the anu god uh, out of the you know the bloodlines out of out of out of europe and so you also have anakim which you had mentioned several times already yeah you wonder whether or not there's a connection back to that as well and the the tuatha de danan or also known as the uh-huh. tuatha danu yeah the tribe of anu uh-huh. so that is not an unknown sort of application to it. So that might have something to do with it. But that's just my speculation because I haven't done enough research to, to no. you know, sort of ascertain that. No, I agree. That's why I was asking about the syllables thing is in trying to figure out if, if I could find out what the tan meant, I could uh, kind of uncode some different words. Um, because I think Anne has the relation to Anu and also uh, to Odin or On. Um but but that's a whole different thing. But uh, where do you think that Eden actually is? Well, I think we know it was on Earth at one time. And uh, whether or not it was destroyed, it would have been destroyed by the flood or God could have said, no, I'm going to take it somewhere else. Right. But we know it was we know it was in it was on the Earth because there was the four rivers that were uh, flowing through it that are named. Uh, some and two of them still have the the name, you know, like the Euphrates and the Tigris today. Yeah. That are so. And when Adam and Eve left, they would have stayed probably in the in that area. And I'm thinking that would have been sort of in the land of the covenant area in the region of Mount Hermon. Um, but when Cain left, he went east of Eden and into of uh, Sumeria uh and into oh. into a place called Nod and that's where you have Cain sort of intersecting with Sumerian civilization and after the flood Babel is in built in Shinar which is the transliteration Shinar. for for Sumer right it's in Mesopotamia yeah. and shiny and, ones right yeah and uh, Nimrod stays in um Sumer as well. And, and to your point, uh, and a- after the flood, and of course, uh, you know, creates uh, the Akkadians and the Assyrians and some of the beast empires, but that shining term that you're referring to, the giants were known as the shining ones in Mesopotamia yep. and around the world. And so most of the descriptions that I've come across is, is that they were shining ones like their fathers, which were opalescent shining beings as angels and gods, but not, you know, translucent, like, in a, in the sort of physical form, and that that light came out of their eyes, and it was so bright, it could light mm. up a whole room. So it's kind of similar in that Stargate series with the Ga'uld, where they speak, their eyes light up. It was okay. kind of like that, only brighter. I was going to go with, like, the Moors. That's not not it, then? The what? The Moors. You'll have to tell tell me a little bit more about that. The Moorish, the Moor people. Yeah, the uh, the they're like uh, some people say they're from like Lemuria. The Moor idea, oh, okay. the, the Moray, sure. 
uh, like the Moray people of the islands. Uh, right. That you see a lot of more everywhere too. There's yeah, a lot of do. it in, yep. uh, in Europe, even. Yep. Um, uh, okay. So there's like so, this more idea that they were like a hybrid, the hybrid peoples. Yeah. Well, the, there's two kinds of hybrids. There's the angelic human hybrid. Okay. And then there's the hybrid of the, of the Nephilim, which these would be, or Raphaim after the flood and them intermixing with humans and creating giants, but smaller giants. Uh huh. They're called, they were called the Shamao in the, in the, in the Sha- Middle East. And stuff. Okay. So you said that but, word Shamao was, how do you spell Shamao? Um, S H E M A U. So the people, the Shemites. Yeah. And what's also interesting is that the shiny ones were also known that way as being the Atlanteans. Yes. And the Aryans. And yes. the Aryans were in sort of multiple versions of antediluvian society. Lemuria sometimes can be connected to the time of Atlantis or before. But what's yeah. interesting about the descriptions that we get, whether or not it's from the Kishamaya in Central America, or it's in the Atlantean legends or the Egyptians' accounts of Atlantis, is their description were of the Shining Ones who had red hair like the Peru skulls have and the North American elongated skulls have, mm-hmm. and hazel eyes and pale white skin and were quite hairy. And also they had blonde hair and blue eyes and very pale skin and hairy, just as the Tuatha de Danan, the Tuatha de Danu also had and migrated up the Danube River into Russia, Germany, um, yep. Sweden, Norway, and also over to Ireland, Scotland. Russia. Yeah. So you get that continuance of that color of hair and skin and also the Hori, which were Raphaim. Uh, they'd be known as the Horites, but they're also called Horim in the Bible as well. Uh, the people of Mount Hermon, understanding that HRM was the three letters without oh. vowels coming out of uh, early uh, uh, Semitic languages. Hermes. And they were... Like Hermes too then? Yeah, well, you yeah, you would get no, you get H R M. You might get an S in there because there's a consonant. So, oh, because there's a but thing. but it could but it would be sort of connected that way if it was a Semitic language for sure. Um, so, Hermes typically is Greek, which would be Aryan, which would be related but slightly different. Is the S so, a representative well, of the snake? Hermes, the S. Well, her- the S could be <laughs> because it's a swiggle like a snake yeah, would be. Yeah, yeah. So it if would you be see just the S, like, you would you would assume that it would serpent line. Yeah, just as uh, the Superman S coming from yes. the House of L is exactly. Jor El oh, is, exactly. is a snake like, right? Yes. At the S on the chest, yeah. and, right where the heart. Ooh, yeah. And the Hori um, <laughs> had <laughs> pale white skin, and they're defined and rooted. Sorry about my puppy. Oh, yeah. Um, and was rooted in other words, a letter of the same sort of spelling in, in Hebrew that means white and pale and white bread. And the horn <laughs> had red hair. Really? Yeah. Wow. Do you, um, you guys mind if I read the term or what mores mean on just like what it, what I brought up on? Yeah. 
mind? Do that. Go for it. Okay. Just to, just to get Gary here. Uh, the term more is an exonym first used by the Christian Europeans to designate the Muslim inhabitants of Maghreb, the Iberian Peninsula, Sicily, and Malta during the Middle Ages. The Moors initially were the indigenous Maghrebin um, Berbers. The name later was also applied to Arabs and Arabized Iberians. That's who I would have uh, understood the Moors as, as opposed to uh, some of the other stuff. But that doesn't mean that that's not all connected. And, you know, what's kind of interesting about, you know, the Libyans is, is there's a lot of um, sort of connections back to the ancient, or not the ancient, let's just say the post-Diluvian Raphaim uh, who settled there as well. So there's uh, certainly a connection, and that would be, you know, Aryans in, in the Zuzim. So, yeah, with the, the whole Middle Earth thing, the Midgard area, uh, Shem, uh, that area, uh, Shem, uh, Shamash is also another word uh, for the sun god in uh, yep. Babylon. Yep. Yep. But there's also a Shaman, which is like a, a, a witch doctor, you know. And so you see the shot. Uh, everywhere to the SHM or the, uh, SHA, but you see the SHM though. Um, so I'm wondering if you have any, uh, insight into that at all. Not, not, not really. No, I haven't really taken research, um, using that kind of prefix where it's mostly used. Um, but it might be interesting to, to follow it, but. Uh, typically, okay. as you say, when you're using Shama, um, that is going to be like the sun, right? But the, yes. like but, Shimmer, Sumer. Yeah. But I would also say you may want to look in the direction of Shama, S-H-E-M-E-H, which is the singular form for Shamaim, uh, which is the Hebrew word for heaven and heavens or the heavenly ones. And that the angels are the heavenly ones or the Shamayim. Uh, spell that for me real quick. Again. Uh, S, uh, S H E M, uh, A Y I M with the, with the pluralist. Yeah. The singular form would be S H E M E H. Shem I am. Sam I am. Yep. Sam too. Sam, Sam, I am. Yeah, you got it. Yep. Sam is like another word they say for what Satan, right? Well, actually, more for Azazel. So, okay. Um, in in the Book of Enoch, you get uh, uh, Semiaza, yeah, um, which doesn't have an el on it, and that would appear. And understand, we don't have the original Hebrew for uh, First Enoch. But it doesn't have an EL on there. And a lot of people believe that um, Azazel was sort of split into two angels in there in, in the corruption of, of First Enoch. And okay. so they're talking about the same angel because they have the kind of the same role, right? As and, Yeah. So Shem uh, or Sem, uh, it can be spelled, you know, S-H-E-M-Y-A-Z-A and also S-E-M and a few other transliterations as well. But that goes back to that word Shema, uh-huh. which is heaven. And then Yaza, 
is basically uh, a Zen or a Zoroastrian term for an angel. So uh-huh. instead of putting an EL on there, they basically said he was, you know, a heavenly one in, in a different sort of transliteration. And I don't know why it's been corrupted that way, but it seems to have been because they're, they're to me, they're clearly the same um, angel. Again, if people want, yeah. want to get a hold of me, I have a document on that. that sh- I'll lay that out for people. Is there a reason why they why they would double up on the syllables like Azazel or uh, Berber or Tartar? Is there yeah, a- that's a that's a really good question. No, I don't really know. And you know, because when I look at that word um, Azazel, um, it it's, uh, has some smaller formats that are all sort of interconnected as part of the same series of the words. So. You know, Azazel is the scapegoat word that's used in Leviticus 16 for the okay. second goat that's sacrificed. Um, and uh, Azaz and Az means strong or fortresses. Okay. And as, as Azaz is used in Isaiah 25, uh, when it's talking about a branch of the terrible ones, um, it says the word strong, and that goes back to Azaz. Strong is in stout, because again, just to throw another description out on these giants, they were thought to be way broader than humans. Humans average height to width ratio three to one. These ones were two to one. So when you look at Gilgamesh, he was said to be, um, four cubits wide and he was the king of a rook. So you would use a Royal cubit for him. That would make him seven feet wide. Og's bed was the same width. So he wasn't quite as wide, but not quite as tall as 19 feet. But he's pre-Diluvian too, right? Um, Gilgamesh. Yeah. He's created after the flood actually. Oh really? Yeah. Actually what's interesting okay. about the epic of Gilgamesh is you get Anakedon or Enkidu, um, depending on which transliteration that you're reading or which language it's translated from. And Gilgamesh are created after the flood, whereas in the flood story, you have Upmatishtin, who is from before the flood and all of his family. They're all two-thirds God, one-third human. So it's a giant survival story on an ark is what they're basically telling. But you get that second creation after the flood. But Gilgamesh is... I think uh, something like sixth gener sixth uh, in succession coming down from Upnatishtin to the king of of Uruk. So, what what period of time was that? After the flood. So, secular chronology has uh, Gilgamesh at reigning somewhere around twenty six hundred BC. I would oh, put okay. it more like about. Um, say 2200 using biblical chronology. I thought the Enuma Elish came from uh, around 4000 BC. That's untrue then. No, that's, that's, uh, that's true. But the Epic of Gilgamesh doesn't come, come out of that, right? That's a separate. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I guess it's kind of separate. Yeah. And we also get the same sort of, um, testimony coming out of the Ugaritic text that that cites the same Gilgamesh story. So interestingly, if the flood was about that time, that means they all spread out around the same time and all started writing the same stories of the flood. Yes. 
Well, and, you, and if you think of it, it makes sense because from a, from a Babel perspective, I mean, they're going to be scattering around the world yeah. and they're all going to have yeah. that sort of story. Now, if people survive the flood, which other, you know, other people believe uh, all around the world, well, they would probably keep that story alive as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. either way, you're going to get that as that sort of common event. I have uh, two more questions and then I'm going to, I'm going to hand it over to Roman and let him get some in here <laughs> before. <Hey. laughs> uh, in the, in the mystery schools and like uh, in Egypt and stuff, they, there was like three levels to uh, the mysteries. It was uh, mind, physical, and spiritual. Do you think that the Bible is also written in these uh, three mystery levels uh, for initiates, for uh, people that just would read it, and then the deeper, deeper meaning for the uh, real high, higher ups? Typically, the fallen angels and their followers counterfeit everything. Okay, And so I would also preface that knowledge is neither good nor evil. It's how it's used. Correct. So, um, so you don't have to be against knowledge. You just, it's how it's used. You have to be concerned with. So what they're teaching in the knowledge cult of the mysteries is the all things sense. kind of rebellious and advanced knowledge um, that isn't always going to be for the, for, for the good of all people. Um, there are also degrees that are higher than the third degree. That's just the first level of uh, adepthood, the third okay. degree. So I was just thinking a uh, celestial, terrestrial, and telestial. Uh, like well, cosmically, yep. as above, so below, then the gods, and then the people. Yep. Yep, that that makes that makes sense as well. They have so many layers to their allegories and things. Yeah. Um, but when you get into the pure bloods, well, it, before you even get into the pure bloods, um, if you're going to be a um, a regional sort of manager uh, of lodges of Freemasonry, and understanding that third degree is the first uh, level in the York Rite of Adepthood or 33rd degree in the Scottish Rite, which is the same system, except that you've got, you know, the three degrees split up into, you know, 11 components at each level. And so you're going to be fifth degree in the old mystical rites to supervise lodges. I don't know how high this goes, but I know by the time you get past Rosicrucianism, uh, which has 50% pure bloods at the top mm-hmm. yes. um, that it's going to go much higher than seven. I've been told nine, 11, some people say 13. I've even heard a number of 42. So I have no idea how high it actually goes. But what I do know is, is the pure bloods who are the bloodlines of the Nephilim and the bloodlines of the Raphaim uh, and the Royals, as we would know them today, they are initiated from childhood. They actually become adept before they're adults. They just can't uh, take the title. Um, do you know the etymology of the word angel? Well, angel, um, you know, basically, you know, comes from the Hebrew word melech. Um, but el is also right. um, um, a word for an angel and, and or a god as well. I- I read it came from the word agel, A-G-E-L, which meant a bull running in circles. 
and it was uh, and it says uh, that it's a circle or a, a corner. I mean, yeah. I, it's hard to trust a lot of stuff you read on the internet. That's why I'm yeah. asking the question. <laughs> yeah, it, it it as I as I recall it, you know, it changes forms as like it Anglo. Gets, yeah, as it yes as, as it goes into old English, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just trying to remember how that that flow flow went. Because the Anglo uh, is a Caucasian, and the that seems to have connotations to the word angel. And then if angel means a circle or a corner, then what is the representation of a circle and corner but a compass and a square? Yeah, masonry. That make, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, that was you know, a lot of the uh, imagery and the allegory that, uh, that the polytheists overlay on it because they, they assign all kinds of meanings like that, um, you know, throughout, uh, you know, their history of, of, of everything because it's just, it's, it's part of their cult. Okay. <laughs> uh, so because uh, I asked that because there's the Saxons also, right? Uh, and the Saxons are the, Issachar or the Scythians are those all the same or am I off on that too? Well, you have different waves of migration. So you have to be sort of careful with that. So a lot of people will say they're the sons of Isaac as um, the Saxons take off the vowel. Um, But the English history has a lot of, uh, a lot of other sort of migrations into it, as, as, as I mentioned. So right. you've got um, the, uh, the the Scythians who are also known as the Tuatha de Danan. Oh, I thought right? that was so the they, tribe of Dan. Well, that's what a lot of people say, but the, the, the Tuatha de Danan is also known as the, uh, uh, as the Tuatha Danu or the tribe of Anu. And okay. Diane would probably be the female goddess that they also go back to, which is kind of like mm. the the Roman god of the fairies, understanding the Tuatha de Danan were, you know, the fairy people, the fair people. Yeah, there, there's a Danu goddess, though. There is uh, as well. Um, yeah. the, the thing is, is when you look at the different pantheons around the world, Mm-hmm. They are this, it's the same pantheon with different yes. vernacular names, right? So you're yes. going to get that sort of consistency, you know, in some so, of those words as they come through. So. Yeah, Daniel would be the same as uh, Isis and Hathor and Oster and yep. all the rest. Yeah, uh, that was pretty much my uh, last question. Uh, and then uh, I just had one quick one for you. You can do real quick, and then and then I'll let Roman. Go for it, because uh, I know he wants to get into the transhuman and humanism aspect. Uh, uh, wh- how do you feel about the flat Earth? Because a lot of people say it's biblical. There's a firmament. That, do you subscribe to that? Are you wishy washy, or how how do you go with that with biblical yeah, you, you, evidence? You could you you could call me wishy washy on it, but I I, <laughs> I, I I lean I lean against it. Uh, for for a number of, of reasons, um, number one, um, 
first of all, I mean, it doesn't really matter to me whether it's flat or not. Right. Um, it doesn't. Yeah. Uh, but when I look at, I'm from Canada and I've been to the north and I've okay. been there both in 24 hour darkness and 24 hour light. So, mm-hmm. uh, and there's some issues with certain eclipses and some other things as you get into the, the, the FE. Uh, belief, belief system on this. What I do know is this: is something is going around something to make the uh, the anomalies happen that can't be accounted for properly with FE. So I don't care whether it's flat, and I don't care whether the sun's going around the Earth or the Earth is going around the sun. Something is going around something. <laughs> there is movement. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, one more thing to add real quick is the, the CA uh, uh, suffix. Uh, I see that everywhere too. I'm wondering if that has any connection to Kane or Canaan. Well, I think it does. I, I really do. I mean, cause you mentioned the Canada. Mar- so Canada and then you yeah. have uh, uh, California and you have uh, what's that? What's that Island? Uh, Catalina. You see the CA yep. all over yep. the place. Any, if, if people understand that language and the development of language has been controlled by the bloodlines ever since, mm-hmm. as, as well as the religions, and everything that they're going to develop for new words and everything that they're going to name things after and all the knowledge mm-hmm. and all the history is going to be about their history. Like exactly why CERN is named after Sir Nunos. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I leave it to you, Roman. Oh. Um, <laughs> hello, hello. Um, so my my depth of uh, etymology and, and theology is definitely not as deep as Dan's, and we have, like, different um, – you know like we have like fun different viewpoints on stuff and that's why we have uh our show that we have and it's great uh but i wanted to ask you um you know uh what what you think transhumanism will do to affect the spirit and um i know we touched on it a little bit before but you know what what do you what do you believe truly deep down that the agenda is with the transhumanist movement well, they're trying to, number one, create physical gods in the physical universe. And what you also get linked with that sort of concept is the ability to somehow or hopefully be able to transfer consciousness from one oikotarian into another, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you are trying to in the new age have an advancement into godhood then it would be an advancement into this technology and knowledge that they're basically promoting it that is part of that evolution and they also need to provide you unlimited knowledge to be a god in the universe just as satan promised through the serpent Adam and Eve, that you can be like gods. You can be immortal because they had access to the tree of life at that time, and you can have all the knowledge, both good and evil, and you can be like God. They're going to be needing to promise humans to that they can be a god if you take the mark of the beast, 
and move into this new age that we're promising you, the new Atlantis. And yeah. so I think that's that's what they're looking to do. But I don't think they really care about the average mundane human. I think what they're looking at is is creating bodies for the spark of the divine and for the bodiless de- spirits of the demons that they're they're going to want to be able to have interact in the world. So it can be like the Ten Kings of Atlantis, where the gods and the demigods dwelt amongst humans, and the humans were basically the servants and and the, and the slaves. Who was Is the it- king of Atlantis? Well, Atlas was the the chief king in Atlantis. Oh, and that's that would be one of the seven. Um, uh, what was the it? Son, the the seven, son of, of the seven Neptune. sciences. Son of Neptune. Yeah, or, or Poseidon, and yeah. through climbing a, and a human female. And again, that story is exactly the same as what's told in Genesis. You have a god. Uh, having sex with a human female, creating an offspring that was known as a demigod. And a demigod's ancient meaning was the offspring of a god and a human female. And that's exactly what Genesis talks about. And it's the same story that goes around all over the world. But what's really interesting about Atlantis, that they, when I said they want to create that new Atlantis, is they had 10 kings that was not only the golden age, but also viewed as the center of world government at that time. And they were trying to, to conquer a, the whole world, although you know, they eventually got beat by the Athenians. But mm. that's what they're trying to bring back. And that's the same number for those 10 kings in the end-time empire. And the New Atlantis that Francis Bacon wrote about, um, that was to be the end time where you have a religion that works in harmony with science, which is the polytheism and the knowledge cult uh, of the angels that was created before the flood. Yeah, that, <laughs> that sounds a lot of, uh, sim- that sounds similar to a lot of the, the, like the, the Atlantean history and stuff that we've been getting into on the show here. Um, and I, I'm actually really interested and I hope that, uh, you can get into some box saga stuff with Dan, because I think there's a lot of things that can get tied together uh, for, for you, Dan. What, what do you feel about that, sir? Dan? Yeah, definitely. Um, that's why I'm asking some of the questions that I am, uh, because the, what they, the North people say from the saga is that they are the Atlanteans. Uh, it was called Altland East, which is all land is ice. So all the lands froze over, which is uh, Ireland, Scotland, uh, Poland, all all those lands froze. Um, what's interesting about that is there was a descender uh, god, and he's the one that created Atlantis, which was p- the Poseidon, right? And then his son took over and ruled Atlantis, which was Atlas. And then if you go through the, all the other gods, it seems like... Um, He's also the same representation of Satan with the pitchfork and uh, the Enki with the fish scales and the people that they talk about that are the, the, like the fish and the scaly skin, uh, like a lizard. How does that tie into the floods? Because if these are gods of water controlling water coming from, you know, this area that is seemingly heavy into the ice and the ice, you know, melting and, and causing that, does, do you think there's a tie there between the flood and, and these gods of water? Oh, certainly there is. And 
you know, Poseidon gets mixed in with a parent god because Poseidon's an offspring god, um, gets oh, okay. mixed in with uh, Iapetus. And so you get the sort of the same Atlantean mythology told through Iapetus as well as Poseidon. And both of them were the gods of the uh, of, of the water. But again, if you understand that sort of army and that Saba thing and the host of heaven, uh, that once the parent gods were thrown into the abyss, the other one, other, you know, offspring gods sort of moved in underneath mm-hmm, and there wasn't really mm-hmm. that rebellion that they talked about. And so when you look at uh, Poseidon um, and or Iapetus, you have these gods that are kind of in partnership uh, with the the gods of the sky. So whether or not it's Enlil, that is the god of the air or the sky, or Zeus, is, it would be Poseidon's counterpart, again, as an offspring god after the flood, and Kronos would have been the one before the flood. So when I look look at those sort of connections, and I look at what's going on with the, the Atlantean story which ends in a flood i mm-hmm. i look at the poseidon version being sort of being overlaid on to maybe the parent god of iapetus uh, that and that would be the pre-flood story um and that iapetus went to uh the abyss for those violations against the laws of creation and poseidon probably did the same darn thing right and you know, just as Zeus is, is again, is, is a, um, offspring god after the flood who, you know, has, uh, uh, you know, um, is accredited with, uh, producing Hercules, but Hercules sort of fought before the, fought before the flood as well. And so, but there's also another Heracles. So again, I think what we're mm. seeing is that split in the flood, but it's telling the same story. So, that's, yeah. um, okay. and in the Atlantean story, um, and when you're talking about the ice and the stuff, um, you know, that could be a little bit older, but what's really interesting about the Atlantean empire that was before the flood is that it encompassed not only this island that was somewhere in the ocean, that was one, one of 10, but it had parts of North Africa, which would have originally been called, um, Ethiopia, uh, you know, as it, it's changed a little bit in its spelling and pronunciation, but it would have been North Africa. You would have had, mm-hmm. you know, an empire over into South America, one into Central America, but also up into Ireland and up into England as well and up into the north. So they would have had that empire um, up there as well. Then I look at similar sort of dating and other legends like Asgard of the mm-hmm. Norse, yeah. which in Thule, uh, that the Germans were talking about, all again in, in that understanding as being sort of Aryan and or giants, um, very much the same story as Atlantis. And I think you see sort of a vernacularization of that history within the northern cultures, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it changes the names, but I think they're all talking about the same Atlantis. That's kind of how I look at it. Wow. I, so do you think uh, these parent gods that all of these polytheistic religions look at, you know, that that depict these, you know, certain areas of rain that they, you know, they rain on the, the 
you know, whether, whether it's like natural landscapes or, um, natural, air, way, you know, air, all these things. Are these fallen angels in your opinion? Yes. Yes. Interesting. You know, what's interesting is, is in, uh, there's a Gnostic book called, uh, Pistis Sophia and mm-hmm. it describes these archons and watchers, uh, in the abyss prisons and mm-hmm. and they are and those are the angels those are the fallen angels and, and they have you know like the hydra you know one has seven snake heads one just has a single snake head the hydra got, yeah <laughs> so yeah i think they're all angels so so like i was saying earlier about on and Anne and how that relates to odin and uh you just mentioned the word archon and yep. if you take the word arc it's arctic and then Arctic on so archons yeah. would be like uh, um, the the Odin people. Yeah, and I think again that's the uh, you know transliterations you know as it forms into, into other languages of probably the akin to you know El right. So yeah, wow. Um, so can <laughs> I? I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, sideject just a little bit um, because I know in other interviews you've talked about different you know portals and um and 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 entrances to hollow earth and some of these places you know could um have resonance to ley lines and when i did some research on it i found that um there are you know a a uh big ley lines um they call them energy lines of the holy land seven powerful energy lines that um go across the land of israel and kind of make like a human shape um, and I, I was just curious on your like uh, knowledge or information on that and what you think the sin- significance is of that, because God, um, you know, obviously created Earth in this beautiful, beautiful, um, perfect symbiotic relationship with everything here. And so what, what do you think the significance is between these special places and ley lines? Well, I think a couple of things. One is, is there's probably something to you know, the earth being a lot more complicated than what we've been taught and has a lot more self-sustaining built-in systems and power systems that you just need to be able to kind of tap into. And that's typically what the ley lines are are kind of doing. And in combination to celestial alignments and things like that, um, one expects that that may have been done to be connected to, you know, the the universe and certain stars and constellations and things like that without being into the astrology side. So having said that, then if we understand that after the flood, basically there was not much representation of monotheism, you know, after Noah, you know, and by the time of Abraham, that's only if, you know, 300 years, he's the last monotheist, right? And so the whole world is dominated by polytheism and that this knowledge of this power, the knowledge of the holy sites would have been governed with polytheist religions, even in the covenant land, because Israel comes back, you know, after being, you know, 400 some odd years in, uh, in, in Egypt. And so all of these sites that would have been taught by the fallen angels and the gods to their civilizations to build their temples on these specific sites, all of these sudden having 
these ley lines and things line up with that makes perfect sense. What doesn't make sense to me is how in the age of Christianity is as we come along, we start building churches and things on some of those sites. That just doesn't seem to make much sense. Yeah. That, um, but if they're originally built for good, uh, then, okay, I guess I'm fine for that. But typically those places aren't going to be used for good. So, And the, the people experience extreme amounts of joy and, um, you know, he- heightened sense of consciousness in these areas of, of ley lines and especially places, um, you know, on like the 33rd degree. And, you know, and so that's, you know, that's that's interesting as well, especially having, you know, places of of, of holy connection to be yeah. there. And, um, you know, it could be, um, in my opinion, it, it could be that these specific places are built and created by God to have an easier connection to go to these sacred sp- places yep. to be able to to tap into your consciousness, because seemingly consciousness is how we do connect to the spirit and the soul and, yep. and be able to communicate like that. Yep. And there could be located, there could be their locations for portals too, because, you know, some of the really ancient sites, whether or not it's Stonehenge or many little sites that look like Stonehenge called Domans and Doman means portals. Um, and Gilgal Raphaim uh, at the foot of Mount Hermon, Yes. Um, is a sort of circular site. It has hundreds of domains in there, and which is the, a major ley line point, as I read. Also. Yeah, and this is where you have the Rapiu or the Rephaim kings in the Uteritic text that are traveling back and forth between there and the underworld. And so, I think there there are those kind of connections that they built these polytheist sites on. Do you think the underworld is is inside the earth or the southern hemisphere? I think it's inside the earth and in another dimension. Okay, okay. Do you uh, okay, and this this is kind of a general broad thing as well. So there are, you know, uh okay, I I'm going to ask this question here. How do you feel about metaphysics and modern spirituality, seemingly the monotheistic um it's kind of this, or the, uh, modern spirituality in my understanding and, and how I got tapped into a lot of the things that I'm tapped into now. Um, you know, I strayed away from Christianity for a while because it just seemed it was being hijacked and controlled. And I felt the, the breath of darkness on what would be, this, you know, this so-called word of God. Um, as a child, I felt that. And so I, I strayed away from it. And I think a lot of it is true because it, it you know, it, it's, a uh, it's connected to money and it's connected to the modern society. So, but when I connected to modern spirituality and this understanding of oneness, um, and the, and, and, and a single creation source, that's, that's a hundred percent something that I, I do vibe with now. And I'm really trying to tap back into this, 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 this source. And, um, I, th- I, th- I find myself leaning towards this, this Christianity, uh, side yet again. Um, but what, what do you, what do you feel about there being the the higher self, the the current physical self, and the lower self? These vibration points that they that they talk about. Well, it's certainly you know inter- interesting stuff. Um, I you know what what all of that sort of means is you know hard hard to sort of decipher. Um, but you know it's part of 
polytheism that they have an ability to tap into the third eye in um, trends uh, form themselves to be able to astral plane into into different dimensions uh, and, and release their spirit to be able to do that. Um, you and think that's that, dangerous? And that there's ability there to, oh, that's very dangerous because you're going to put yourself in the world of the demons and the fallen angels, right? Mm. Or, and, and be hijacked. And be hijacked. And or <laughs> tap into with that ability to uh, connect like that to um, the power and sort of the matrix as they would believe it of the physical world that you could tap into that power. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So a lot of times when I see like people that uh, find Christianity or find the Bible or uh, say they're born again or whatever, it's usually when they're at their lowest of lows uh, from either prison or from doing something or having a rough childhood or something like that. And then all of a sudden they find Christianity. But what you just said there was that when you're at your lowest of lows, you can uh, get infiltrated or hijacked by these demons. Do you think that there's something going on there too? Like, are they being hijacked or, or, or oh, yeah. hijacked oh, yeah. by good spirits? Well, well, good spirits wouldn't hijack you. So okay, okay. they would they would guide you. They would guide you. So it was the it was the bad spirits that led them to that depth, and it was sure. the good spirits that led them yeah. out there, of the abyss, yeah. drag well, them down. Well, yeah, I mean they're they're not interested in your well being, so okay. they're interested in in, in their well being. Yeah, and so anything, whether or not it it's a drug or it's some sort of trance or whatever the ritual is to put you into connection with these beings is opening yourself up for possession. Mm. Did you have any, uh, anything else, uh, Roman? You know, I do, but I, I feel like maybe we could just get Gary on again to go down another <laughs> two-hour conversation that can be incredibly depth and vast so we can just blow our minds and caps wide open yet again. Because um, um, okay. we've reached that point. Uh, I but had, I do have I, more questions. I had one more thing that I thought was very interesting because I was listening to your episode on Blurry Creatures and you guys were talking about Mount Hermon. And uh, one of the guys on the show mentioned how there is a UN building on the top of Mount Hermon. And then uh, with all these ley lines and portals and stuff, it's very interesting and why they would be guarding that. And as that was, you guys were talking about that, what went through my mind, you guys started talking about aliens and how they're controlling aircraft uh, uh, mentally, uh, psychically or something. And uh, the first thing that popped into my head was uh, Roswell and how that sounds like Raw's well. And uh, that's Ooh. like a, a opening of a spiritual or a, I don't know how to ex- even explain. Uh, like a portal. Have, yeah. Do you have, yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I think, th- I think those names are chosen for specific for specific reasons and those would yeah. be the kinds of reasons right yeah because you and, see military bases and uh uh these uh, Star uh forts. N- national parks are all trying to keep out people yeah. because there seems to be some 
spiritual aspect of something going on there, whether it be Bigfoot or missing people or, or uh, military control over it to make sure. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's okay, I mean, Dan. It's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's what? a... You know, they do it to, to to keep people out and they're doing it to control the information of whatever is going on there. Um, and at Mount Hermon, that is the most holiest site of polytheism on earth. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it is the world, uh, you know, that sort of expanded out of that on an oath based sort of format where the fallen angels originally took their oath and then created uh, the Nephilim and, and the Raphaim thereafter. Yeah. And it's connected to the underworld and you have, you know, the, the pan temple at the foot of the, the foot of Mount Hermon and the yeah. uh, gateway to Hades cave that's there to the underworld. And that's where Jesus went to uh, announce to Mount Hermon that um, things were going to be changing soon and he was going to build, oh, wow. uh, this, you know, the, um, saving of humanity on the rock, um, Peter and changes his name accordingly. And he did that for a specific because, you know, throughout history, it doesn't matter if it's Roman, it's Greek or whatever, they've got temples there forever honoring that place because it's just it's just one of those holy mountains and the most holiest of the holy seven occult mountains in in the world and so the un is located there because there's i think there's portals and it's right where gilgal Raphaim is and it's the largest manned operation they have in 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 the world and that's where armageddon happens where do you think these portals take them? Where do the where do the portals lead to? Well, all we're told is is what we get out of prehistory, and those portals always go to different versions of the name of the underworld, whether it's Argatha or the you know hundreds of other names of it. They all lead to that same sort of place, and it's okay. the abode of uh, of of the a lot of the angels right the abyss the inner earth yeah and 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 even even the the gods of the sort of the upper world they always made treks to the underworld just as yeah. persephone did you know and uh won't go down down that rabbit hole and how it's you know uh related to well i will just quickly it's related <laughs> to all hallows eve because that's the time oh, of the demons no, coming through the the portals right and she did that in the same period and that all hallows eve leads into the samhain season which begins on the first day of norma sam again yeah Mm -hmm. and finishes on the 11th and the rituals that she did going down to the underworld was with poppies and poppies are the big symbolism that's used in November 11th for the end of the first world war. And that's the last day of some hemp. I poppy. I think personally, I think the portals could be this, like, like we said, like prayer spots. So it could be that they're just transcending or having something, an out of body experience within their consciousness as well. And not necessarily a physical place, um, a place to tap into that energy to get downloads or, um, have a communication with some of these, um, these ulterior, uh, forces. Possibly, except that the gods were 
some of them were ruling from the underworld and mm-hmm. people went back and forth. So, yeah. So, and, and the Sumerian, uh, I've only read the Sitchin. I know people say Sitchin's, uh, not a hundred percent correct, but it does talk about, uh, Enki going to the Absu, which they depict as the Southern tip of Africa, which is very close to, uh, Antarctica. And so, uh, that's how, that's why my feeling of it was, it was the underworld, meaning just below the equator. Uh, and it was the, uh, lower life people. Sure. And there's accesses to the underworld all over the world. So I think they probably all lead to the same place, but do you think they're, do you think they're imprisoned in Antarctica? Um, possibly. Um, but in a different dimension, okay, uh, right? The different, like, so dimension being a different frequency wave pattern that we, we can't see or that we can see or, or a different dimension being not even part of this world. I think, uh, in, in, in the first, in a wavelength that we can't see, you know, I think it occupies the same space from the same, description we just yeah you know it's um that that sam hain thing we were talking to uh navier alora who is a witch and a seer and uh intuitive and uh she was breaking down like astrology because she does astrology also and she was saying what happens for sam hain is it's when the sun or when the earth goes through the gates of uh it goes through the gate at this period of time and my thought was during this period of time this is when the earth is starting to be the farthest away from the sun and maybe that is why the veil is thinning because we're not close to the sun because the sun is soul s-o-l and also the soul is your soul and we get our life force from the sun and i was wondering I, i thought maybe in my head that maybe that might have something to do with the slipping of the veil and being able to uh, see uh, the spirits more is because we're farther away from that planetary body. Well, certainly in, in ancient religions, the uh, winter sort of period yeah. would be the darkness period and uh, the underworld period. And then as okay. you get past the solstice in December, you, you yeah. start to come out of it. And, and they would look at that as a renewal of the earth uh, and reincarnation and so all of that sort of as that yearly cycle goes is sort of wedded into their rituals and beliefs interesting i did not know that all right carrie i'm sorry i'm just going to keep asking questions if, if <laughs> i don't stop yeah let's 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 wrap it up because it has been a quite informationally dense and we have some listeners that need to digest <laughs> this episode uh, but gary if we would be so kind to come back on our show we would love to have you sure. yeah just invite me back anytime <laughs> and go ahead and tell the people where they can find you at too and what you got going on in the world i know you're coming out with a new book soon so plug away yeah so the best way to get a hold of me is through my website the the genesis 6 conspiracy www.genesis6 the number 6 conspiracy.com and on the website, there's a contact the author. So if you want to ask me a question or get some of the information that I was offering earlier on a document, 
uh, you can get a hold of me through there. On the website, there is also a generous excerpt of all 98 chapters of my book. So you can get a good feel for whether or not that is a book that might interest you or not. And if you wanted to buy a copy, you could click on buy now and buy from the author and I'll send you a signed copy. Or you can click over to Amazon to buy the book there or get to the Kindle version as well on, on the icon and or and or over on barnesandnoble.com. So lots of ways to get a hold of the book there. You can also get a hold of me on Facebook under Gary Wayne and um, put a message on my timeline or send me a message. So lots of ways to get a hold of me. And uh, it may take me you know, a week or two to get back, but uh, I will uh, respond to your email. So thank you, Gary Wayne, uh, for coming on our show today and blowing our minds. We appreciate it. We hope to see you back soon and remember people to go check out his stuff uh show him some love some support. buy the book yes and uh you what's your new book about you because you're you, uh i heard you coming out with a, a second book yeah i have i have two on the go um one i've set aside and that's going to be a uh, prophetic book on second exodus and oh. the holy covenant and how that fits into end time prophecy Excellent. what i'm decided to do in the meantime, and I've been sort of passionately working on it, is a sequel to the Genesis 6 conspiracy. So mm-hmm. it's going to be all about the giants and the angels and the angelic hierarchy that's written about in the Bible with some outside sources, but heavily weighted into the Bible. Because what people were asking me all the time is we want more information on this. And yeah. I thought I wouldn't, I thought I wouldn't do a sequel because I thought it might be more of the same. So this is going to be more, but not much of it's the same, but it builds on everything that was written in the Genesis 6 conspiracy. Hopefully that'll be out early next year. Excellent. Excellent. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much, man. Uh, and remember, people, I got two words for you. Wake. Wake. Oh. oh. Lost 
everything exists within our atmosphere, then the memory remains. The memories remain. Energy cannot be created nor destroyed. Therefore, the past is there to be discovered. To discover who we truly are. Because we're just looking for answers. To see if this is all just a simulation. And I'm not sure anymore. Life does just seem to be a blur anymore. Will we rise from the ashes?